Well, you're probably wondering what that's all about, aren't you? Yes. You'd have to be a boomer or someone born soon after the boomer group to know what that's all about. Um, three dog night. Now, like all um, good preachers, uh, approaching a sermon, what do you do? How do you begin to prepare? Well, of course, you read the scripture, and this is the first Sunday of Advent, and as you've probably gathered, we're uh, looking at the uh, Christmas carol, Joy to the World, and um, uh, each, su- each Sunday of Advent, the preacher is going to focus on the theme of uh, uh, the particular verse, and I, I'm the first one up, uh, Advent Sunday, and uh, I have the first verse, joy to the world. So preachers, after they pray and ponder over the scripture momentarily, uh, go to the search engine. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I plugged in joy to the world. First thing that came up, three dog night. Um, um, all, joy to the world, all the boys and girls. Joy to the fishies in the deepest sea. Joy to you and me. So it didn't take me long to figure that was not the joy to the world that we were considering. <laughs> Second up was the carol. Um, and it's joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. This is the first verse. And we're going to... Uh, That's the backdrop to this morning, and uh, the pastor has given us a text, but it's, uh, I understand that it's the, uh, I don't know where the survey was taken, but it's the most popular hymn in North America, the most not hymn, but Christmas carol, Joy to the World, and uh, it's uh, uh, a wonderful Christmas carol, and it was uh, written, the lyrics were written by Isaac Watts. Now, Isaac Watts um, lived in the, um, between 1674 and 1748, and in 1719, Isaac Watts wrote this poem or these lyrics. And someone came to me after the service and explained to me uh, where the music um, came from for it and uh, the joy to the world, the Lord has come. I wasn't sure how those things worked in those days, but there was someone by the name of Lowell Mason, and he borrowed something from Handel's Messiah, and um, that's kind of how we got the tune to Joy to the World. But Isaac Watts wrote 477 hymns, including the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, and the other one that you're probably familiar with is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and... uh, a wonderful, wonderful hymn. Good one to sing around communion time, isn't it? Now, the interesting thing I found out about um, the uh, uh, joy to the world is that it was based on Sa- Psalm 98. And um, I don't think, don't know whether you have that for the screen or not, but let me locate it here and uh, uh, I'll read it to you. It's rather interesting. We think of uh, joy to the world always as a Christmas carol but it was actually based on Psalm 98 and uh, somewhere here in the Bible, Old Testament, I think, yes, okay. (laughs) Here we are. Uh, Verses three to to six. 
He remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, before the king. Now, that is... uh, Isaac Watts, had, that was his inspiration for writing the words to Joy to the World. And he actually, uh, it's really an apocalyptic um, passage, and he interpreted that in relation to the second advent when Jesus will return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he said, shout for joy. Now, of course, we're in Advent, and we're considering the first uh, advent, when Jesus was born, the babe of Bethlehem. But that's not what Isaac Watts had in mind. He was celebrating the second advent. I don't know how it migrated to becoming a Christmas carol. I don't have that background. But um, at any rate, it's a wonderful hymn because you can celebrate two advents. You can celebrate when God became incarnate in Jesus Christ, in Jesus the Christ, And you can celebrate an anticipation of the second advent when he will return as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, this this Christmas carol should bring us great joy, shouldn't it? It uh, speaks of joy. It should warm our hearts. And this Christmas season should be a season, season of joy. Now, we are in the season of advent in the church calendar. And we're kind of, um, in our church here, church calendar light, I think. We, we don't, if, you, if you've seen some of the other denominational calendars, they've got all sorts of interesting things in it. But we go with the lead up to Christmas and Lent, you know, the lead up to Easter and maybe Pentecost Sunday. But at any rate, in Ad, why do you have these um, preparations for Christmas and for Easter? Well, these are celebrations or acknowledgments of the significant events in the Christian tradition. But when you look at the the Old Testament, when you look at the nation of Israel, they had uh, significant events, you know, the Day of Atonement and the Passover, and they always had uh, preparations that they observed, which made them realize the seriousness and the acknowledgement of what was happening. And so it's not, not an uncommon thing, and it's not a, uh, a, almost a non-biblical thing to say, well, Advent is a good preparation to celebrate what an amazing thing it was that God visited us, an amazing thing. As Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, wrote in one of his many hymns, God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. And uh, that's what this season is about. And we have to think of it and realize what an amazing and amazing thing is that God visited us in Jesus Christ. And so we need to consider today the great joy that comes when we ponder the arrival of the babe of Bethlehem. And we're going to consider it uh, based on a, a, a couple of verses in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. They're the 
focus of our uh, study this morning, and I'm going to read some of the surrounding verses there. So, if you are able, in honor of God's Word, we ask you to stand as we read the Scriptures. Beginning at verse 6 in 1 John 5. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Be seated, please. Now, uh, what we're going to do this morning is to look at um, verses... 11 and 12, we're going to give these some consideration, and um, the fir- we want to consider two things. The first one is we consider the gift, and if you look in verse 11, it says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. God has given us a gift. Now, John wrote this letter because... This was about 80 years or so after the uh, death of Christ. The Christian church was beginning to form. It was in its embryonic stage, if you will. And uh, uh, it didn't take long for false teachers to begin to emerge. And they sought to corrupt uh, the teaching of the apostles, the basics of new faith, new Christianity. Uh, They were diluting and degrading who Jesus was. And so John wrote in protest about that, trying to encourage the new believers not to be discouraged by what they hear, but to follow the true teaching. And uh, he said, and this is the testimony. This is the witness. This is the witness of God. We've had some witnesses from people, but this is the witness of God. And it is this, we have been given a gift God has given us eternal life. This is the testimony. Now, life, eternal life, was the theme of John's epistle. If you look at the very first verse, uh, you'll find there he speaks about eternal life. And then if you look at the end of the epistle on the same page here, uh, he says, he is the true God and eternal life. So this was in his Sights all the way. It was life, eternal life, was very common to his teaching. And then in verse 13, he gives the purpose of it, writing the letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know 
that you have eternal life. That's what he wants us to know, that uh, the early Christians and us as well, you have eternal life. So we're going to consider that gift. I mean, what is this gift? What does eternal life mean? I think it means, uh, and biblically speaking, I believe it, it means two things. It means, firstly, a quantity of life that is length of life, and it is forever. Eternal life. It lives forever. And then it also speaks of a quality of life that we live in the here and now. So that's where it begins as when a person becomes a Christian, uh, God's Spirit indwells us, a new nature begins to emerge, and it's a quality of life that Christians can and ought to live. But then at death, it, is a, it continues on forever. And when I think of this, I think of um, Paul's statement in Philippians 1.21, um, and I did speak on that uh, way back when I was interim, that this is my life verse, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. And Paul seems to sum up there um, what this speaks about, eternal life. A quality of life for me to live as Christ. You can live a quality life for him while you're on this earth. But contrary to popular culture views, dying is gain. Dying is gain. The Christian will live forever. But we're looking at this here. Now, a eternal life. Now, I believe everyone lives forever. The immortality of the soul. Eternal, everyone will live forever. But not everyone has eternal life. And the difference is location. People will live forever. Those who have eternal life will live in the presence of God with Jesus Christ. Those who don't will live in the other place, separated from God. Uh, eternal life is something that God gives to those who are his children. And everyone will live forever, but it just depends on the location. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that this morning. I want to tell you... a. Uh, 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 a story I heard many years ago about a British politician from uh, the 19th century. His name was William Gladstone. He was Prime Minister of Great Britain for 12 years. He was a very devout, very evangelical Christian. Never not lost an opportunity to share the gospel, even although he was a, you know, a man of power. But uh, anyway, any rate, the story is told that in one of his meetings, and this was before you all politicians and all that used to have bodyguards and secret service and so on. You could actually get to them. And after the meeting, this young fellow came up to William Gladstone and said to him, Sir, he said, I'd like to share with you what I want to do with my life. And Gladstone said, Good, yes, I'd love to hear it. So the young fellow said, Well, I'm just about to enter law school. I'm going to study law. I want to qualify at the Bar of England and uh, be a lawyer. And Gladstone said, that's great, and yes, and what then? Well, he said, I want to practice law uh, to its fullest extent. I want to be uh, a good, uh, famous lawyer. And Gladstone said, well, good, that's excellent too, um, but what then? 
Well, then he said, you know, I'm probably getting up in years. I'd like to be a professor of law in the university. And Gladstone said, yes, good. And what then? And then he said, well, I'll probably retire and, um, and try to enjoy life and do the things I couldn't do when I was bound by my work. And Gladstone said to him, and yes, and what then? And he stumbled a bit and he said, well, I, I, I guess I, di- I will die. And Gladstone said, yes, and what then? And he said, well, I don't know, sir. I don't know. And Gladstone said to him, young man, you're a fool. Go home and think life through. So that's my thought for you today. (laughs) What location are you going to be in? Think life through. Uh, The text tells us that God in Jesus Christ can give us eternal life. So we live with him and walk with him in this life, and we will one day be with him forever. But for those who have not made that response, well, you'll live in separation, separation from God. So we all have to face that because the statistics on death are very impressive. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I've been on the journey for quite a while now, and I'm ready. I'm ready for the Lord to call me home. I'm not really in a hurry, but uh, I am ready, but that's in his hands, not mine. So there it is. Yes, God has given us eternal life. God has given us eternal life. And uh, we can live forever one day. But the other thing is, if he's given us eternal life, we can live fully now, a quality of life. It is possible to live a purposeful, hopeful, joyful life today. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ. To begin to live is Jesus Christ. To live is to live in Christ. To live is to live for Christ. You can live fully in Jesus Christ today. And uh, that's another great word. Joy can fill your days. Now, you know, we, we want to live good, fully lives, good, full lives, don't we, most of us? That's our hope, that's our desire. We often look to those who seem to have achieved fame as being the models of it. You know, the celebrities, the movie stars, the sports, famous sports people. We idolize them. We follow their every move. We see what's happening on TMZ and uh, Access Hollywood and um, um, what's the other one? Entertainment Tonight. We watch those things. We think they've got life to the full. Well, let me share with you what Philip Yancey had to say about that. Many of you know him, Philip Yancey, the writer. He's a journalist by profession, done a lot of Christian writing, apologetic books, very helpful books. But he also has been on television. He's um, interviewed many celebrities and so on and written articles about them. And here's what he had to say about his experience. I must tell you that in my limited experience, these idols are as miserable group of people as I've ever met. Most have troubled or broken marriages. 
Nearly all are hopelessly dependent on psychotherapy. And in a heavy irony, these larger-than-life heroes seem tormented by incurable self-doubt. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And he goes on, of course, I'm not going to share that with you in any detail, but he talks about servants, servants who have a love for other people, who invest in other situations and are not totally focused on themselves. I've just finished reading the book by, um, uh, his name eludes me at the moment, David Brooks, is that right? David Brooks, called The Second Mountain. Now, David Brooks is a very famous um, he's an author. Uh, he is a conservative um, uh, op-ed writer for the New York Times. I watch him and Mark Shields on uh, PBS NewsHour every Friday night where they discuss politics. They discuss politics, what's happened in, in, the, in politics in our land this last week. And they do it in an intelligent, uh, respectful way. Not the shrieking of the left and the right commentators, but anyway, that's aside. Sorry about that. But that's David Brooks. He's written this book called The Second Mountain. And he talked about the first mountain and uh, spoke about it a little bit like Yancey does, that it doesn't always fulfill people. It's not what it seems to be. They're not as purposeful and helpful and experienced this in his own life. But he said there's a second mountain to climb, and one aspect of that is finding faith. And he says faith will give you purpose. And uh, he found that himself from being an observant Jew. He sort of migrated into Christianity, and I don't know quite where he sits on all of it, but he's very interesting to read. You see, people don't find as much fulfillment out of the things that are, quote, successful as they would like. But the truth of the gospel is that you can live for Jesus Christ and you can live joyfully and fully today. Now, um, if you'll indulge me in a moment here of personal testimony, um, I, I want to share with you. I remember reading a number of years ago about the uh, Irish priest uh, Brendan. He lived in the sixth century. And he um, he's now, I think, a saint, according to the Roman Catholic Church. But at any rate, he went on a missionary journey to Scotland. And in Scotland in those days, they had these tribes, or I suppose you'd call them clans. That's what they do, call them clans. And he sought to evangelize them. And he went to one which was ruled over by King Brood. And he shared the gospel with Brood, the king, And the king said to him, if I follow this Jesus that you speak of, if I follow this Jesus, what will my life be like? And uh, Brendan said to him, if you trust Jesus Christ, follow him as the Savior and Lord of your life, you will find it will be wonder upon wonder and every wonder true. Now that's my testimony too. You know, I've clocked up quite a few miles now on my life quite a few years, I should say, on my life. And that's my testimony to you this morning. You can live a full life now. You can live purposefully now. You can live with hope now. You see, eternal life gives you a quality, wonder upon wonder, 
and end every wonder true. Now let me share just briefly what's happened over the years with me. Um, I, I was, uh, this was yesterday morning. I was in the kitchen doing some domestic tasks, loading the dishwasher. <laughs> I looked out of our window and I had what could be what I was about to call a revelation, but Pastor Pete said we don't use that word, uh, a revelation. Um, the revelation has been given in Jesus Christ and in the scriptures. Am I quoting you correctly? You, you don't seem to know. Okay. <laughs> well, I would, say, <clears throat> I would say it was kind of a vision uh, or just an insight that I believe is spirit one. I went right back to Christchurch to the 1940s when I was a child. And uh, I, I visited in my mind my home there and the other places I lived in, in New Zealand before coming here. And then I thought back over the years. I, I thought back to my childhood. My mother died when I was nine. My father eventually remarried after five or six years. But I'm, I thought of, you know, if Jesus Christ had not come into my life, where would I have been today? Well, my father at that time was a heavy drinker and um, he, he chased women. He was married to my mother, of course, before she died, and he, he had numerous affairs. And then it, I also was thought of um, a number of years ago, I heard Max Lucado speak, the popular writer. You're pro possibly familiar with his name. He was brought up in West Texas, and uh, his father worked in the oil fields, and he said his, all his father did was uh, drink beer and chase women. That was true of my father. And I venture to say, if Jesus Christ had not come into my life, that would have been true of me. That's where I would have been. But Jesus Christ came into my life. Look what's happened. I, um, I, I was given a good education. I wouldn't have normally had that. I was given a good education. Um, I've traveled all over the world, met wonderful people, been wonderful places, and in my senior years, here I am in this church family here, and what a joy it is. I thought about that, you know, I can't get away from this church. <laughs> <laughs> I retired in 2007, and then a couple of years ago, was asked to come back and be head of staff and interim pastor for the brief time until Pastor Pete arrived, and I retired from that, thought, this, is, this has been great, this has been great. And then Pastor Pete, three months later, sent me the most delightful note, asking me if I consider coming back on staff here again. So when I finish this gig, if this is, that's the right term, <laughs> I will have retired three times from this church. I can't get away. I can't get away. But what a joy it's been. Thanks be to God. What a joy this church family has been. I remember a number of years ago, um, after we'd gone through a really hard time, and I've shared my life, and it wasn't all ups. There were, there were downs, and at least one catastrophic one. And I, I was out of the ministry for five years, and Billy Joe shared with me a prophetic word from Joel chapter 2, verse 25. I, um, 
the Lord will restore the, 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 um, the reap that, what's the words now? The Lord will restore, pardon? Thank you. What the locusts have eaten, the Lord will restore to you. This is what happens when you become a senior. You can't remember things that you've known all these years. Thank you, my dear. Yes, I pray that the Lord will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And I would say that is so true. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can live a life which is full, a purposeful life, a hopeful life, uh, if you embrace what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And just secondly, and more briefly, we need to consider the giver. And this is verse 11. And this life is in his son. If you want eternal life, you have to do business with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Because God's redemptive work was done in and through Jesus Christ. And in verse 12, he says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Life eternal is available now through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You have to do business with Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is that God drew near in Jesus Christ. He visited us. What a visit it was and what a visitor he was. I think of the words of George MacDonald, who was the early mentor, I suppose you would say, for C.S. Lewis. He said, they were looking for a king to slay their foes and lift them high. Thou camest a little baby thing that made a woman cry. What an amazing thing it is, this Jesus Christ. So if you want eternal life, you have to stand, symbolically speaking, before the cross of Christ. And you have to stand there in penitence and believing faith, repentance, saying, Lord, you did this for me. I thank you for your death on my behalf. I embrace it as my own. I put my sins on you, and I trust you'll give me your righteousness. Imputed righteousness is called. That's what we all need to do. Stand before that cross. Now, I wonder if you've done that. That's the big question. Yes, and what then? I wonder if you've done that. Stood before the cross and embraced in repentance and believing work, um, faith the work of redemption through Jesus Christ. This is a great day to do it because you have set before you today, set before us today, is the communion of the Lord's Supper, the sacrament. The body broken that we might be made whole, the blood, the cup poured, the blood shed, cleansing us from our sins. What a great day as communion comes to you, uh, as the bread and the cup are passed to you to say, Lord Jesus, you did this for me. I've never said yes to you. I believe in your work for me. I put my sin on you, and this reminds me of the cost, and I embrace you as my Savior and Lord. You can do that today. What a day to do it. How appropriate. First Sunday of Advent, communion, the bread and the cup and the prayer of believing faith. And if you do that, tell someone. Tell your family or a pastor, someone who brought you to church, prayer partners up the front afterwards. Our pastors are here. 
the next desk, you can go there and say, uh, I want to know more about trusting Jesus, or I've just prayed the prayer to receive Jesus at communion today. I don't understand it all. What have you got to tell me? Go to the next desk. You can do that today. Oh, what a joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So we gather here today around your word, around this table, thanking you for your revelation in Jesus Christ, thanking you for the gift of eternal life through the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that our lives can be full now and one day we'll live forever. We can live fully now. One day we'll live forever. Thanks be to God. And so bless our time at the table. We thank you for the fellowship we share around it. We pray these things in the holy, saving, and worthy name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.